Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this podcast is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. I am beyond blessed today to have Pete with me. Pete Havel is an author of an amazing book called The Arsonist in the Office. And I did a little LinkedIn uh, content post about it and just have after reading that, how engaged I've been in with this book. And it was, it was a quick read. So I'm so happy for you to come on one, to talk about content as a leader, you never hear. And then two about the good that comes from it. So Pete, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. Awesome. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you were an author, but more um, if the audience wants to know more about you. Sure. The author thing is really new to me. Um, and still, it's very strange when I have people, you know, asking me to sign a book. It, it's still weird. I I don't know that I'd ask myself to sign my own book. Um, but um, yeah, I, this, this is fairly new being a, a consultant and trainer and things like that. I've done some of that in the past, but my world, and this is where I alienate about three quarters of your audience, I spend most of my career in politics. Um, as a lobbyist and political consultant and things that, you know, everybody around the country just loves, um, especially uh, during an election season. So um, that's what I did. Influenced people, supported uh, the business community on all sorts of good things that create jobs. But um, I had that once, in, hopefully once in a lifetime moment of, um, of something that shook me up in the wrong way at first, but then sent me in a direction that uh, it's pretty cool. It, I, I hear from people all, literally all over the world saying either thank you or can you help me on this question or something like that, because I talk about the worst moment in my life that frankly has led to some of the best moments. So it's it's awesome. I love that. I think that dives right into what you're not sorry for. So Pete, you tell the world, what are you not sorry for? I got fired and I'm not sorry for it. I uh, absolutely not when you're in the middle of a circus, um, you know, don't um, don't be surprised. Don't be be afraid. Actually, um, feel grounded by by the fact that you may have been the one normal person in the organization. And I love that because your book, again, you go into big detail on it. So if you could give the audience just a brief background of the story. I'm going to tell everybody, go get the book. Like the book is a quick read and it is so fun and entertaining. And at first you're like, this is over the top, but then it's like, oh no, mm -hmm. it is reality. And I've had arsonists in essence, and the book is called The Arsonist in the Office. I've dealt with people that are arsonists in the office. So speak to your story and then also might want to define what an arsonist is. Absolutely. I bring people, for lack of a better word, behind enemy lines with me into the craziest job scenario you can ever imagine. Um, it starts out with me being called into my CEO's office after what was a strange hour or so at work with people basically um, beginning with, hi, nice to meet you, and Pete, um, we're praying for you in here. 
And, you know, that's great. I, I uh, believe in the power of prayer, but it's awfully strange hearing it from complete strangers and they haven't told you why. Um, they, um, but my CEO calls me in and says, I probably should have told you all of this before, but I don't think you'd be here today. And then tells me what, um, I knew what my job was on paper, but he told me what it was kind of off menu, if you will. And it was, I was hired to partner with and essentially become a Kevlar vest for the organization um, in being the buffer between them and an employee that they called the arsonist. It was somebody that had filed at that point somewhere between two and three dozen complaints, all of them believed to be false. And they give me this person's job and basically say, hey, good luck to you, go get them and uh, let us know if you need anything. And it was hell on wheels for the next, well, lawyers won't let me say how long it was to identify the company, but <laughs> and it, it was it was crazy. And uh, when I left, it was book worthy. It definitely was because imagining and the few things that I love that you point out is that it is okay to to, to bring actual complaints up, but whenever they're done for reasonings to bring people down to belittle them. And as you talk, like in your book, the first meeting you have the ladies unbuttoning her top just to get a reaction to see what you can do. Mm-hmm. And then she comes to your private meetings and then she goes to your wife. I feel like that's the the straw that brought, broke the camel's back, but yeah. you're personal. And then it, nobody's dealing with her. Like management doesn't know how to deal with her. No, they, they had made the decision that um, she had, made so many acts and and I keep on using the the uh, the uh, the feminine pronoun this is not a book about um, you know anything anti-women men cause more problems in the workplace it just happens to be my story um, but um, the crazy numbers of um, of complaints but they had made the determination that she was so volatile so unpredictable so reckless, so litigious, so many different things that they thought, you know what, at least on, if we keep her in this job, um, we know what she's doing. We don't know what she'll do to us from the outside if we terminate her. So um, we're going to um, to keep her inside and let other people deal with her. And that was essentially, as I learned in my role. Mm-hmm. And that's what you put in there. It, it's cheaper to keep her. And I wanted to do a preface on this too, that I love how you put in the aspects of the reality of what men face because of false accusers, but then also the reality of work, uh, work zone or work environments that don't address abusers. So I love, there's a whole, uh, basically chapter that you elegantly put out that case on why it's not good for your, your daughter, you even talk about your daughter in that, but then also why it's also not good for the men and, and understanding that's a viable complaint. Like that's a, that's a viable feeling, you know, you don't, as a man, as much as it is as a woman, you know. It'll, how- it'll lock you out of your career um, in, in a lot of occasions without a lot of questions asked. I, I was terrified by it. Um, I didn't want that accusation on my on my record. So, yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. So, and I even um, talked to a guy that I put that LinkedIn post out and he wouldn't even like it because he called me and he already texted me and he's like, I just want you to know this is so true. Like, because what I have put out is that whenever I got fired or I didn't get fired, whenever I left, um, I chose to leave. I was told that 
everybody is replaceable, including me. Like, and I've done all these accolades. I've got all this stuff. And it, it really, it did, it hurt my ego, obviously, because I am human. But I was like, okay. But after reading your book, one of the biggest insights, not everybody's replaceable because there are people that are still working that are in essence in that, and they still, they may not be there still, but they're arsonists in the office and they kept getting promoted. And they would go from one area to another area to another area just because people either wouldn't want to deal with them or two, they're great performers. So talk about that for a minute on why do you think people get promoted even though they're so like destroying a, a culture and an environment? Sure. In, in a, um, in a, and I'm going to use the term selfish, but there's, I probably don't mean something that strong in an atmosphere where everybody's looking out for themselves first. It in some ways is tough to argue with the, um, with a supervisor who says, you know what, this person's making me a lot of money. They're making me look good. Um, and you know, on each of those calculations they're reviewing, they're probably not wrong, but what they're doing, it's like getting about halfway through a problem on your SATs and uh, declaring it the answer. You're, um, you're not doing all the math that's necessary. You're not looking at the people who are leaving forever that will never come back to the place because of what they saw happening. You're not um, looking at the lawsuits. You're not looking at the, um, uh, frankly, the physical and mental health of employees, um, the reputation um, in, of, uh, of uh, the organization. There's so many different things that get missed in that calculation. And um, you're absolutely right. The people that do the kind of the shorthand problem on that math is my top performer. It's an easy choice, but uh, do do the stuff on the back of the page because you're going to get a very different result. Yeah, and I love that because the other thing that realized to me is I, I do wellness and safety programs for companies. And one of my things that can frustrate me so much is that sometimes people care more about their customers well-being more than their employees well-being and talk about that because well i'll say that in in one of the stories i know that they didn't even care about the customer's well-being whenever you talk about the fish with the the lady they basically put out on a firing squad it felt like um, political terms Mm -hmm. but talk about that whenever People care more about results and the productivity compared to the well-being of the group, of the individuals. Sure. And it's, I guess, I guess for lack of a better analogy, I would liken it to that old saying about once you start down the path of lying, you're telling bigger and bigger lies. We've all heard that. I think in a culture, when it starts to go bad, you find people having to cover more and more because it's not just that that first action of bad behavior or uh, you know whether it's whether it's corruption or yelling and screaming or any of the things that uh, can indicate a toxic workplace it is it becomes um, you know page after page incident after incident who has caught the virus of toxicity so much in what may start in uh, the wellness and safety department, not by you, of course, but, um, you know, in your department. And then it heads over to finance because finance figured out that you can get away with X amount of stuff and they get the joke. And you suddenly have one, um, a whole lot of unethical people 
Two, your standards have dropped completely. But three, it is almost a protection racket in that there's so much going on. Everybody knows a little bit of something, which makes you, if you know enough, makes you pretty irreplaceable because no one wants to come after you. It's like Game of Thrones. Yeah, it really is. And so talk to people about you getting fired and how much it has helped you afterwards. Like what has been the beauty that has came from it? There's a lot of things. Um, And I will not, um, and you know, I I hear from people regularly about what should I do? Should I, should I just quit? I can't take anymore. All, All these different things. And I always counsel people that unless it's affecting your, your mental or physical health, as hard as it is, suck it up until you can get to safety. If you're being pressured in an organization, keep on driving on to the to the finish of um, you know someplace where you can land elsewhere. But what it, what it's done for me and my um, my firing was essentially I spoke up when, as you talked about, um, things got crazy. Things began looking like a lifetime. Um, movie of the week, and um, it, it was worked. always crazy though. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it wasn't. Uh, it, yeah, it got even stranger. So, um, what the uh, what it became for me when I spoke up, I was uh, I was booted, and it hurt, and it uh, uh, you know it's tough to answer that question in that next interview of why did you leave your last employer. Well, now I can say, all right, turn to you know chapter. <laughs> chapter three and you can uh, you can read it but up until that point i was really paralyzed and my confidence was shot because i found myself thinking how do i how do i even tell people i was in the right if, if there's a right and wrong in this i was the guy that wasn't causing any problems and i'm out and i'm hurting because of it because professionally um so what it's done for me is a few different things one it's given me a story i can tell the book um gave me a story i can tell two it's given me a mission in life um it lit a fire under me. And I will tell you, I could have cared less about culture. And I always thought of it, it, it was a touchy-feely word. I had never heard it explained because I always worked in some pretty great places. Love my bosses. Um, some of my coworkers were in my wedding. I, I always had fun in my jobs. That and I worked remotely in a lot of cases. So, um, you know, if I had problems at work, it was my own darn fault. But... <laughs> Um, what it's done for me is it lit a fire under me like nobody's business in that um, I saw, I had my own experience. I really saw other people go through the agony of what they were in. And um, I learned some lessons from it really not soon enough because I didn't do the analysis until I wrote the book. And so it took me a little while to figure out really, all right, where are the weaknesses in me? What are those things that I haven't, um, Oh, maybe I give too many strikes to, you know, okay, I'll, let me, um, I'll just move on from that. Cause I don't want to be that guy. And, um, there, there's sometimes you, you better start documenting. You need to, um, watch your back. There's that old saying of, uh, uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean you're not being followed. <laughs> there's a little bit of that in, um, in the workplace situations in that, you know, you can let stuff, stuff roll off your back multiple times, but at some point, if the same thing is happening again and again and you're not dealing with it, you probably have an issue that you better take care of or it's going to hurt you. So uh, for me, it's it's given me a platform. It's given me a um, mission. It's given me friends. 
all around the world, some great shows to, uh, to come on, but um, it is, um, you know, for what started out as about the most miserable position I had been in in life has turned into incredible opportunity and a blessing. That was a really long answer. No, but I think it's true. Cause I will say whenever I left, it was a leap of faith. It was scary. Everything on mine. Yeah. I left on my own, but it was still, I just knew it was, it was a point that every door was being shut. So might as well. <laughs> and even doing wellness and uh, safety programs, which I continue to do now, like I was blessed to be able to learn how to do stuff there. I lost 10 pounds. And like, and I ate the healthiest, I moved the most while I was in essence while I was there, but I was so stressed out and how much it had affected my health, not being able to live out my purpose, not and just in essence, being stressed all the time, working long hours for things that just, I feel like I couldn't get things done. And then I remember there was times where I had meetings where I'll, I don't even, I typically don't cry. I'm very, I can be very stoic at times. I'm trying to get better to be more human, but I would be left with like crying in a meeting. And I'm like, I've never done this before. Like they're just bullies, like yelling and screaming at me. Why didn't you come to me one-on-one? Like, why didn't we, like, you talk to me like we're best friends and then we get a meeting and it's attack zone. So talking about things like that and, and how, what red flags? Because there was me there. Now I look back, it's like, oh, this was a red flag. This was like when the company culture is plastered all over the walls, but the people aren't acting it, you know, yeah. so, some of those things. What it, What are some red flags? If anybody that. Uh, I, have, I have 20 of them in the book. Top <laughs> Being a football fan, everything comes in top 20 somethings to me. Um, but some of the biggest ones of the, the reddest of the red flags are things like retaliation. Um, somebody speaks up, somebody, uh, you know, puts in their, uh, their opinions on things, or they accidentally cross a line of, Hey boss, I heard about this, this problem we've got. And that problem that they found may be something that nobody's supposed to know about. And they find themselves out of a job or they find themselves not getting that promotion. Um, but, um, you know, in a lot of cases today, that person, and I talked about a couple examples in the book, they never know what hit them um, until they're out of the job in that the ground, it's not instant. Um, the groundwork may have been laid long ago to take you out and you're, you're sitting there just um, stunned, shocked. You don't even have it on your radar screen, but it was put out on you. Um, some other things are certainly the, the yelling and screaming the, that you expect. Um, also silence um, as well. On the flip side of, okay, you've got a toxic manager that everyone is afraid of and they give the obligatory, all right, does anyone have any questions? At the end of the day. And there's silence. Um, it's because everyone has learned you don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And that, especially in your world, wellness and safety and that kind of thing, in, in the right industry, if you've got employees that aren't going to speak up when they see a safety issue, you've got all sorts of problems. Um, those are those were a few. Um, those are some of the worst, but uh, plenty more. <laughs> yes. And then talking about to people, COVID has put a lot of people out of their jobs. Some mm-hmm. have been fired. Some have been furloughed. Some have been released or had to leave on their own. 
talk to those people that are looking to go back into the workforce. You talk about um, fireproofing yourself to be able to go into and, and checking things out. What are some recommendations you would have for people that have been fired or let go and finding a new job if they want to? Yeah, there, there's um, there's several of them that you can do. Right now, some of them are trickier. Um, I, I think I have a list of about 10 of them, but some of those are just inoperative and that you can't go, you know, waltz into, uh, into the office and look around. Uh, tough to get that face-to-face meeting in some instances, but go online um, and uh, uh, Google things like, um, you know, for instance, uh, let's say um, Pete's Candy Store, Scandal. All right. What's in for that? Pete's Candy Store lawsuits, um, sexual harassment, all these different things that are kind of buzzwords for something's wrong here. Um, then head over to Glassdoor while you're while you're in the neighborhood and check and see what the, um, what the reviews are. And uh, I wouldn't say, cause you're always going to find somebody who's mad about something. Um, a great company is going to be hit by somebody that hated it there. It just happens, but you can start seeing trends. Um, especially when they're talking about, um, you know, certain departments, for instance, and uh, that may point to very, something very specific. You may start seeing, yeah, I guess I'd say, look, look for those trends. Don't worry about the one review. They may be right, but you don't want to rely on one complete stranger's view on the internet about, uh, about the company. But if you're seeing five or six people talking similarly, um, check it out. The last thing I would say, LinkedIn is your friend. Go on there, um, type in the company's name in one of those search bars. And especially now when people have time on their hands, find out who has worked there. Maybe don't go to, to current employees, but find out who has worked there and just say, hey, I'm applying for this job. Do you have a few minutes? We'd love to talk with you about your experiences in, uh, in the company. You're going to get people. Um, and incidentally, people that are networking right now, go contact your friends on, uh, on LinkedIn. Give them a call and uh, reach out to them because, frankly, we're all bored right now. But you will be able to get access right now that um, you would never have it any other time. And I agree. I think that's something that's huge because what I found is like big life decisions. We usually just do it on a whim, like getting married. We don't do any research on the other person, you know, it's like, let's just walk down the aisle. And then it's like getting a job. Let's just, <laughs> let's just, let's just take it. Yeah. And cars and everything else. You, it, you're, you're so excited just to, just to have the opportunity. You, you don't think through those, those basic things. And frankly, this is a huge reason why I wrote the book because um, you're not thinking clearly. It may be that excitement that you talk about of, you know, the new car or uh, college acceptance or marriage or, or whatever else. Um, but it may be you've got a PTSD kind of thing going on with you don't work well under pressure. You, um, as a consultant, you can appreciate this. You may be a better consultant than, you know, then you do fill in the blank. Uh, for me, when I was in politics, I was better as a consultant than I was, was as a candidate. I, I just thought more clearly. Same thing in workplace situations. So, yeah, I, uh, I really think there's something to that. And much like anything else, um, you may know something, but it doesn't mean when you're in a really bad situation, you're going to apply it. And that's um, you know, a huge thing I hear again and again 
from really smart people that just got obliterated in a bad situation because they're worried about survival um, at that very second, but they're not thinking about anything else around them and it can hurt them. And that's what we speak a lot about. And the reason why in our wellness and safety, we address stress first, because whenever you're so stressed out, your learning centers of your brain shut down. And so you can't be creative. You can't be innovative. And that's the one thing that I saw that was very big and why I point back to the importance of caring for your employees health first before your customers health, because you want to be innovative. You want to grow. I don't know any company that doesn't want to be creative and do great things. But if you have people that are walking around like robots, they're only going to do what they have done tasked over and over again. That is like mechanical based. Yeah, absolutely. It's not going to be that that thinking that we want. And you may not even know that that oh. you're feeling. I, I keep it all inside. So I, uh, for me, when I, when I'm stressed, my back starts hurting, my shoulders start acting up. I I but I never. I'm stubborn enough to not realize I'm stressed. Project that across the company, and yeah, you've got a mess on your hands. Yeah, and that's the big thing too is to understand where you do what you do with your stress. So I'm what is called a somatizer, which is like how you are. You keep it in, you body it in. You don't let it out because if you let it out, like people might think that you're like a bad person and you like to stay safe probably. That's how I am. And so I will keep it in and I know it's in my shoulders and it's in my gut and having those those reactions. So where does it even play in a part in your body is very important for people. But whenever you're too stressed, sometimes you don't realize it. A family member might start saying things. So I guess that's another thing is what has your wife said? For, from you from go, being in that situation to being fired? What has her uh, thoughts on the book and everything as well? Oh, she's loved the experience. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. Um, that would be a very interesting question. Um, you know, and, and let, me, let me start from um, when I was going through all of that. There was a real struggle that I had because it was – it wasn't intermittent weirdness. You know, the the crazy rain cloud of uh, dysfunction was not coming over me every once in a while. It was a downpour. Yeah. And I could have brought that home every day. And at some point, frankly, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to work my way through this. Surely I'm going to win um, because I had done well in the past and other situations. I'm going to come out okay on this. But in the end, I had to, you know, have some conversations of, okay, this is not going really well. Um, and uh, it, um, it's been a challenging few years um, that I, I talk a little bit about. Um, but, um, you know, at, at some point, you can either let that stuff break you or remake you. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was, it was definitely the, uh, the remaking process. Um, I rely on my, my faith a lot and trust in my faith a lot. And for me, it's one of those things, and I joke about that um, uh, there's two things I, I hold to in life. It's going to seem, seem like a weird combination, but um, uh, God has a plan. Um, mm-hmm. And then if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, when those two things are intersecting, it's a really weird time to be in. But, but for me, I kind of wrote it out in that, okay, this is about the most surreal. And I pretty much determined that for my friends because nobody had an experience like I had. Um, this is an experience that surely 
for whatever reason that was put on earth. If this is pretty, a bit more unique than some, how's that? Um, then I need to talk about it. I need to, um, to help other people. And then from there, I'm going to figure out what else um, I can do with it. And uh, some people thought I was absolutely crazy uh, because, you know, it's a taboo. You don't want to talk about a previous employer. And I never identify him. So, um, you know, I, I uh, was careful about that in that I was both professional, but also um, very, very open about what I experienced. Um, but there was a lot of risk. And I, I think um, just concern about, all right, how's this going to go? A lot of people write books, not all of them end well. Mm-hmm. And certainly, um, you know, on this subject, it was, I had some people being like, all right, is Havel driving over the cliff? Um, <laughs> but when they read it, and especially when they had other people seeing what other people were posting about, oh my gosh, this applies to, uh, to my life. This is happening inside my company. I think a lot of those doubting Thomases were like, okay, good job, Pete. Yeah, this, this, can, uh, this can work out. So, um, yeah, personally, yeah. I, I will not lie that it has been a, uh, an absolute roller coaster ride. Um, but the opportunities I'm seeing to, to help some major industries, the crises that are popping up every day in companies, this week's it's the Ellen Show. Other times, you know, we've seen lots happening with law enforcement, for instance, about, um, you know, that, that rogue employee or few employees that um, can hurt everyone. There's just so many different principles that are learned from if you don't address your problem, you're going to have more. It's like the ground. Yeah. I think yeah. it's like that, the movie, The Ground Ones, where, uh, you know, they, they start multiplying. Um, and become evil. Um, but uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it's been, um, it's the strangest thing to say. I'm very fortunate to have gone through about the biggest nightmare imaginable because who I am today, I think, is um, somebody that can, can help a lot more people than what I was doing before. I love it. And I think it's so true. So I know we're right at the end of our time. So if you could tell anybody, that is apologizing for being fired, what would you say to them? And first, if they, they're feeling bad about themselves, don't knock it off. You, you, you can't walk through that anymore. Um, two, there's going to be some lessons you will learn. So think through them and, um, and figure out what you did wrong, what you did right. Um, for, your, for your family, talk to them. Um, and, uh, uh, if you feel like you need to, to be sorry, say you're sorry, but, but move on, you're going to get through it, um, together. But finally, and I know I'm going over on this answer, don't be ashamed, but take what you can learn from it and turn it into a strength. And I'll wrap up with this. I heard uh, from a guy earlier this week who was talking about how do I, how do I even talk about being fired in my next interview? He was fired. Uh, late last week, and he contacted me over the weekend. We spoke yesterday, and he uh, he said, "What do I do?" And um, you know, we walked through, and I said, "Don't don't bash your employer." And he knew that, um, but I said, "Give me a little bit more information about what happened." And it was a case where um, he had spoken up, and he was a guy that when he saw problems, he wanted to identify. And in his organization, they covered him up, and um, that um, if there was a problem, you know. Few uh, few shovels full of dirt will take care of the uh, the issue, and, and nobody will see it. 
happens every day. But I said, what you've just identified is um, you left a job and you were a can-do kind of person. And that when you see an issue um, happening that is going to hurt the, the productivity of the company, you're going to be the first one to volunteer to help solve it. That's who you are. You're not the guy that, uh, uh, that, that got fired and decide what those strengths are and run with them. Cause there's a lot of companies for as much as we have the really screwed up ones. There's a lot of great companies that are going to say, I want that person on my team. Yes. And I think that's true. I think the big point too, I want to point out is that most companies I think are great. They really are, but it's just those bad ones that are just so loud and you hear so many stories that it's, um, it really can resonate with you and you can remember those. So, and I'm, I, I'm blessed to work with amazing companies. So I will say that there is light at the end of the tunnel. You just have Absolutely. to find it. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for everybody that watched as well. Go get Pete's book. Pete, tell them where you can come, go and get your book. Sure. Um, they can go to my website at arsonistintheoffice.com. Or, uh, or hop on Amazon where they have not only the paperback that's on my, my website, but also the, um, the ebook and the audiobook um, where you'll hear all the craziness yeah. that I uh, ran yeah. into and then all the lessons with it. I have it on Audible. It, I've read it already one time. I'm going to go back through it again. It is good. I've already recommended for a few people. Because here's the thing, I'm picky about my book list. Your book is in the top. I'll have to say, in the, at least top ten. We're we're looking top five, just because if I had had that, and I'm if you're over optimistic too, that is your book. <laughs> so, <laughs> red flags, or if you're dealing with arsonist in office, maybe. Um, thank you again so much, Pete. It was such a blessing to get to talk with you, and thank you for all that joined. Same here. Thank you again. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.